I just want to tell you how wonderful it is to see you guys talking and fellowshipping with one another. That's what the church is for, isn't it? It's to praise and honor Jesus, to fellowship and encourage one another. Amen. That's a mighty praise. This morning we're going to continue in our study of the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. And we're going to, uh, we're going to go verses... Uh, six through the end of the chapter, so that'll be, well, we'll see how far we get, but I think we can cover that. Uh, that'll be through verse 14, and uh, yeah, I know, pray for me. Um, but I want to just give a, a quick recap of what we looked at the last time that we talked about this book. Uh, last week we had a testimony service, and what a powerful service it was to hear testimony from God's people about God's activity and God's Word uh, becoming fruitful and active in their lives and setting them free from from uh, the, the things of this world and, and even giving them a foundation to stand up under some things in this world that they haven't been released from even yet, maybe physical sickness or whatever else. Uh, but last week we talked about the first five verses of uh, Malachi chapter 1 and basically what we looked at was the fact that there's evidence for the love of God for us in the very fact that He is sustaining us and that He has a chosen people that He will not let go, that He will not abandon, and that nothing will deter Him from saving those people. We also talked a fair amount about the fact that uh, Israel had turned its back on God and started to offer uh, useless sacrifices from a heart that was less than dedicated to Christ or to Yahweh and uh, had been uh, profaning the altar of God and he asked them a series of rhetorical questions throughout the book in doing so he suggests that it's silly to think that you can come before a holy God with an unholy sacrifice and an unbridled unholy heart and think that you're going to have any type of blessing from the Lord to think that you can have any type of ear from God while you're offering uh, lame blind and useless sacrifices unto the Lord that God has not desired sacrifices but an obedient heart that God longs to be uh, your God he longs to be your Lord the the Lord of your life your everything and when we come to the Lord with our whole being and we ourselves are living sacrifices unto the Lord, that is our spiritual act of worship we find in the New Testament. But even in the Old Testament, the principles and the truths remain the same that you could not come and fulfill the ritualistic observations of the Old Testament system with an unclean and an unpure heart, without a pure heart of devotion unto the Lord. And when they did so... Uh, it was a stench in the nose of God, and he despised their sacrifices. He despised their offerings and wished that someone would shut them out and not allow them to bring these useless, uh, pitiful, worthless sacrifices. And really, what he's doing is he's saying, I hate the fake. We talked about the fact that not everyone is in a love relationship with God. I know that was hard to hear last week, that God does not love everyone the same. We can discuss whether or not God has some type of love for all creation. I think that it can be said that 
God has a type of love for creation, if nothing else, in the fact that he sustains creation and he doesn't just wipe it from the face of the earth immediately. That God's sustaining grace, his mercy, is a type of, is a type of common love and common grace for all humanity. So I think there's a case to be made for that. But it is not the same as saying the way that God loves his children. That God loves his people, that God loves the faithful, that God loves the righteous. Not the righteous in their own deeds, but those who find their righteousness in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ that's been imparted to them by grace through faith as they have been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit applying the blood of Jesus Christ by the will of the Father. We have laid out a case from Romans 9, from Malachi, that God has a specific people that cannot be lost, that he will not lose. We don't know who they are until they believe. When they believe, we can know then that, yes, those were the ones. I've been asked, how do you know who the elect are? How do you know who the chosen are? Well, whoever believes. Well, can't anybody believe? Anybody can believe that wants to believe. And anybody that wants to believe is the elect. It doesn't have to be an either or, it's a both and. That God loves the elect and that you must believe to prove to have been one of the elect. That's fine, there's nothing wrong with that. It is evidenced in the first five verses of Malachi that this be the case. He's the one that makes the case, not me. I don't need to go back through Romans chapter 9 and show the use of this uh, this truth of God loving Jacob and hating Esau to establish it over again, you can go and read it for yourself. I offered a stern warning that some people may not have liked. That if you are not in Christ, then you are in a relationship with God that is described as being an enemy of God. In Psalm 5, says that God hates all doers of iniquity. You say, I didn't know God hated anybody. Well, you're welcome. There's new information from the Bible. You might not like that. I'm not here to tell you what you like. I'm here to tell you what God's Word says. And I want to offer to you and submit to you that this is the most loving thing that I can do. Because to tell you that God loves you when you hate God and you're actually under the wrath of God, may make it seem as if you're fine. There's nothing that you need to do. Now, I can say that God is extending an, a hand of love. He is extending an offer of grace, and there is a way in which that God has love for you, and He's shown you kindness, or you would be dead in hell already. But I would offer the stern warning that if you continue on in this relationship that you have now with God being a lover of the world and a hater of God you will only know the hate of God when it's all said and done and I want to warn you of that so you will flee from the world that you will flee from your wicked ways and fall into the open arms of a savior who has been long suffering and who has been long holding out his hand to an obstinate and stubborn wicked people who refuse to obey, and who hates his stinking guts. 
If you make yourself a friend of the world, you are already an enemy of God and you are already under condemnation for your unbelief. Turn and turn to Christ and experience what true love the Father has for His children that is like no other. Now moving on from that to verse 6, what we see is how the offerings have been polluted. And I think that this is very relevant for us today for we have masses of so-called Christians who scorn God's word, who hate God's word, who hate God's requirements, who hate God's regulations, stipulations, and the truth that he has laid out by which we are to worship him, by which we are to honor him, and we make a mockery of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by offering up a Christ who is inept, who is unable to save, who has no standards of righteousness, no standards of holiness, and we need to repent as people of God. We need to repent for not calling it out for what it is. We need to repent for compromising the truth of God's Word, for the ability, the possibility, even the desire that we would long to offend God rather than to offend man. May we never compromise our love, allegiance, and dedication to God and His Word for anybody's feelings. Now, that's not to say that we go around punching people in the face or slapping them with our big King James Bibles. I like the King James Bible. That was not anything against it. What I'm telling you is you are not to beat people with your truth. You are to share the truth in the hope that it would steer them from the depths and the pits of hell into the love and graciousness and long-suffering arms of Christ. You say it's unloving to tell people they're going to hell or to tell people they're wrong. No, brother, it's loving to tell people they are running toward a cliff, a cliff and they're about to fall to their utter doom and deny, this demise and, and, and destruction. What if, it were, what if it were true that much of the situation that we find ourselves in our country and in our culture is our fault? I'm talking to the Christians in the room now for not being more vocal, for not being more true ourselves, for offering an excuse for the unrighteous to look at us and say, I could never be a part of that. For living in a way that is compromising. For living in a way that makes God out to be more or less than what he actually is. To make God out to be someone who doesn't deserve our allegiance. You say, I've not done this. Have you? Have I? Please stand to your feet for the reading of God's word out of reverence and respect. Malachi chapter 1 verses 6 through the end of the chapter. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I, I am your father, where is my honor? If I am your master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, 
How have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifices, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us? With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that it, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Oh God, please set your heart on us today. Please write your word on our hearts in a supernatural, spiritual way by the power of the Holy Spirit. Forgive us, God, where we have sinned. Forgive us, God, where we have fallen short. Forgive us our sins and trespasses. Help us, God, to set our eyes on you and to be more devoted to you than we've ever been in our entire lives. Help us, God, to put our hands to the plow, to never turn back. In Jesus Christ's holy name, amen. Where is my honor? Where is my fear? This is the question asked by Yahweh through the prophet Malachi. He says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. Context is king. The rhetorical question here infers that we should infer from it that God is a father and that God is a master. That he owns you, that he has created you, and that you exist in order to honor him and to fear Him, and to live in such a way that you exalt Him as Lord and Savior, as King of your life. King of every aspect of your entire existence. And everything that you have, every ounce of your being, all of your money, all of your time, all of your gifts, all of your attitudes, all of your thoughts are to be pointed to the great and glorious result of glorifying Him and honoring Him, whether that be your job, whether that be your marriage, whether that be your uh, duties as a parent, your passions as a parent, your hobbies, whatever that might be. He says, "Where is my? if I am a father, where is my honor? Because a son should honor his father. If I am a master, because servants should 
should fear their masters. Where is my fear? Some of you may not like the language of fear. I think it's a great mistake to lose the great doctrine of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This whole movement. And I, and I appreciate the love of Christ. Oh my goodness, where would we be without the love of Christ? I, pre- I so appreciate and love the fact that we can curl up beside Jesus. To climb up in His lap. To rest on His shoulder. I love that. The fact that God Almighty would, would, would get on an intimate level with me like that is, is amazing. But what we have lost sight of is the fact that God is God. And that He is mighty. And that He is powerful. And that He is the creator of the universe. And He is the only thing sustaining us. And if He was to remove His hand, it would be utter devastation. We have lost sight of the fact that God demands allegiance and will not settle for anything else. And so it is, while it is true that we can fall into the embrace of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is equally as true that we should tremble in His presence. For He is a dread warrior. And we should stand in awe of His presence. It, it reminds me of a song. It's an old song. And I can't remember, well, some of you may know who sang the song, but it was a female vocalist. And she said, uh, Daddy's hands weren't always gentle, but I've come to, uh huh, Roseanne Cash. But I've come to understand there was, was always love in Daddy's hands. You know that? Hey, hey. I would have clapped on the God is majestic part, but that's, that's okay. No, I'm just kidding. Roseanne Cash, Roseanne Cash had it right. So we've, lo- we've, we've fallen into the place of love, love, love. But we forget that a loving father comes down with a hard hand sometimes. Pow! That back end all to pieces. Right? What does the Bible say? Do not despise discipline. For God, I mean, uh, dis- yeah, for God uh, disciplines those whom he loves. Do you have fear for God? That's a good thing. That's a good thing. And if you don't, you know this whole Jesus is my boyfriend thing. Hey, Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Well, the question is, where is my honor and where is my fear? And some would suggest that, well, Brandon, listen, I get that. But that, you, Brandon, you, you need to get with the times. You know, that's an Old Testament thing. Boy, the fact God was mean in the Old Testament. He was just mean, just killing everybody, right? Just killing everybody. And God say, listen, I want you to go in, and I don't want you to just kill everybody, but I want you to kill all the donkeys, all the cows. If you can find a cat or two, which that was holy, if you can find a cat or two, you know, just kill everything, anything that breathes. Anything that moves, just kill them all. Kill them all. Well, 
we don't do enough contextual study, and we're not going to get into all that this morning. But the, the point is, is that a lot of people think that, well, Brandon, that big bad God of the Old Testament, that's not the same God as the New Testament. You know, the big bad God of the Old Testament, well, that was then. That was, that was God in his adolescent years. But God grew up, and he matured a little bit. And when he came in Jesus, that was the final result. As if God was progressing along, getting better and better. Well, I want to show you this morning. And, and, and why am I saying this? What's, what is the purpose of this sermon? What did God lay on my heart and reveal to me through the truth of his word? Is that, listen, people of God. We think, we read this and we think, oh man, that was a long time ago. They was all jacked up. You know, we read this and go, well, we don't even bring offerings no more. I don't guess we can do that. The only altar we got is uh, the, the wooden carpet down at the well and say, I ain't killed nothing on it in a while. My, my husband was up there one time and I thought about it, but uh, I, I thought better. Okay, listen. There may have been a transition from the Old Testament to the New, but all of these principles are the same. All of these principles, you still offer daily sacrifices, whether you know it or not. You still worship daily, whether you know it or not. You still offer the good or the lame. You still offer the best or the worst. You still offer on a daily basis. The Bible tells us that offering ourselves as living sacrifices is a good description and a way to understand what God is calling us to and what he was pointing to here. It's not changed. The same God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. God has always and will always demand complete allegiance. I want to show you that the same God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. I want to take you to the New Testament to show that. Turn in your Bibles with me if you've got them. And those of you who don't repent, and you can bring them next week. Turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 39. And I want to show you that Jesus is Yahweh. The principles are the same. Now, Jesus isn't the Father. The Father isn't Jesus, and Jesus isn't the Spirit, but there is but one God. And what I want to show you is that the, elite, the demand for allegiance is the same. I think that many of us just look at Jesus and we say, oh, I can keep on sinning. Jesus is loving. He ain't like that mean guy in the Old Testament. Jesus is understanding. You know, he didn't understand. Jesus is understanding. Boy, I'm glad that we got Jesus because I would hate to have to deal with that guy in the Old Testament. But let's read what Jesus says here in Matthew 10. Verses 34 through 39. <clears throat> this is Jesus speaking. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I hope to shake you up this morning. I hope to shake my own soul up this morning so that I would reflect on my life and see the allegiance that I have to Christ 
to Christ and that I would identify things in my life that, that I have elevated to a place of ultimacy, that I have elevated to a place of worship, that I have elevated to a place of idolatry, and that I have more, been more devoted to those things than I have under the Lord Jesus Christ, and that I would repent, that I would be convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit to, con to convict me, to show me, and then provide me and grant me the repentance and grant you the repentance that you need to move away from your wicked ways and to set your eyes on Jesus Christ. Look at the text. It says, Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not, earth, I have not come to bring peace but a sword. You see, I, again, yes, Christ is the Savior. Christ is the Savior, but if you think he's some weak, silly, loving, limp-wristed hippie, that's just going to overlook it all. Don't worry. He's just love. He's just forgiveness. He loves everything. I'm telling you right now that you're sorely mistaken and you will pay the greatest price you've ever paid. You'll either pay it by your own soul because you did not respect and love and have actual faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or it will diminish your desire and your urgency to speak the gospel into every situation that you're in. And to evangelize your loved ones and to evangelize those around you. That you will answer for the fact that you had the opportunity to walk through an open door of the gospel. And you were too scared or you did not think Jesus would bring down the hammer like he will for all judgment has been given under the sun. How much urgency do you have in your life to preach and, and plead with people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you, do you think that there's another way? Let me tell you right now, there is no other way. That Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through Him. And any other supposed way is only a great wide path to a burning hell that they will bust wide open and they will never have a chance again to repent. All other religions are false religions and demonically inspired. And if you allow someone to go down that path, then you never would even utter the gospel. You never would even talk to them about the work that the Lord Jesus Christ has come, I, I, has done. I believe in my whole being that when you stand before the Lord and the Lord asks you, I gave you the opportunity, I opened the door for you to walk through. Why were you so cowardly to not open up your mouth and to share the gospel and as Jews said, snatch some from the flames of hell? And it's not just in personal evangelism. But it's in the way that we do life. It's in the way that we interact with our culture. It's in the way that we interact with the political realm. It's in the way that we interact with the things that are around us every single day. You say, well, I don't want to get political. I'm not asking you to get political. I'm asking you to get devoted. And when you get devoted, when you get devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be political. You will be uh, uh, in, in the schools. You will be in the grocery stores. You will be in the store. Anywhere you go, it will be founded by the power and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you refuse to compromise what Christ has done and what the Bible teaches, it doesn't matter which realm you find yourselves in. You will be biblical and you will be calling them to do things like God has called them to do. Whether you're in college, whether you're in the workforce, whether you're talking to a representative, it doesn't matter where you go, it doesn't matter who you talk to. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ and you are devoted unto him and he is your king, then when you open up your mouth, Christ speaks through you. 
that you are ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been granted authority. And for you to walk around here all hoo-hum and, and, and not open your mouth and just let people take over what's rightfully the Lord Jesus Christ for he sits on the throne and earth is his footstool. And for us to stand by and let these jokers come in and rob us and rob our children of what, what we know to be true, shame on us. We've got to open up our mouths and speak. We've got to open up our mouths and speak. Jesus Christ did not come to bring peace to the earth, but he came to bring a sword. What does that even mean? I believe that when we dedicate ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, then those who love the world are going to hate us. I pulled this scripture up on my phone. I've been dealing with this lately as well, and, and I thought it was relevant for today. You, ha you never have anybody speaking and uttering uh, malicious things against you, then you're probably not being vocal enough for the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Matthew 5.11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Praise the Lord, I'm blessed. <laughs> Two times, three times in the past week, I've been called a cult leader by multiple people. That's not just one. Blessed are you when people revile you and they stir up nastiness about you and they hate you. Why? Because you stand for the truth of God's word and they hate you because of it. You know why? Because you can walk around all day long with a little dirt on you with dingy clothes. You got a white shirt on that's kind of dingy, kind of dirty, but you can't really tell it, you know, because you're walking around and you ain't got nothing to compare it to. But you walk into a room full of bright light and another person who's got a bright white shirt on and it's brand spanking new and it ain't got a, not the first little thing on it. You look at them and you go. You think you better than me because you got a clean shirt? <laughs> light has come into the world and darkness has seen it and has hated the light. You better be prepared when you, when you stand firm and you stand steadfast in Christ and in the Word of God and you are uncompromising with the Word of God and you actually quote things like, God hates all doers of iniquity. Ain't nobody talking about that verse. When you actually quote things like, I did not come to bring peace but a sword. When you actually quoting script, when you actually teach the Bible. Now listen. You might think, well, this is, he's just talking about himself. I hope I'm not. I guess I could be. Am I the only one in here speaking God's word and God's truth in every, in every situation and in every time? I pray that that's not the truth. I pray that you, you're studying God's word. And every single conversation that you have, Every single line of supposed truth that is laid out in front of you, you grab that truth, you stretch that truth out, and then you take God's word, it is the truth, the sole infallible truth, and you lay it out beside that other supposed truth, and you say, hold on a second, I find you lacking here, sir. You know, many of us can't do that, though. Why? Because you've got to have the truth to measure all other supposed truths. You know, it's easy to talk about the 
political things because most of you can see the absurdity of these gender issues and all that type of stuff. And you know what? I think we can get pretty self-righteous. You know, well, at least I know I'm a dude. But you know what I find interesting here? Is that, listen, hold on a second. I want you to get real serious with me. Everybody dial in right here for a second. You know, I like this because I can see all of y'all and y'all can see all of me. And I want you to know that, man, I got my own issues, right? I can do that too. And boy, can't we make ourselves feel good? Well, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. And I don't do those things, so I got it going on and you got it wrong, so you need to get right like me. But let me point something out here. Let's, okay, we're on, a, we're on this level right here, okay? Okay. How often do we try to hold a secular world accountable to a holy God that they've never pledged allegiance to to begin with while simultaneously offering blind and lame sacrifices when we come into God's presence whom we supposedly adore and are in allegiance to. You say, how have I done that? Welcome to Malachi. You see it? This is for us, brothers and sisters. This is for us, brothers and sisters. And so right here is where Matthew chapter 10 applies. It Malachi applies. It all applies to us. And that Christ, Ma Yahweh through Malachi is saying the same thing that Christ is saying here. He's saying that your allegiance is to be, is to me, is to be to the degree that it is down to the deepest fibers of your being and that everything that you do is supposed to be undergirded by a love and devotion to the Lord is, is, is a devotion to God and that it is to be the guiding force and reality behind everything that you are and everything that you do let's turn uh, back over I was going to look at uh, Matthew 15 1 through 9 but it's just talking about how they do all these things, but their heart is far from him. The bottom line is, is that this, this honor and fear of God and allegiance to God and dedication to God is not an Old Testament idea. This is a God idea. That God is worthy of our devotion. He is worthy of our allegiance and he is to be our king. Well, let's look a little bit further in Malachi here as we, as we move through. Uh, because I want to draw a few more things out and, and hit on a few things that I think are very, very relevant to us, okay? Malachi, <coughs> we read chapter 6. Let's pick it back up in chapter 7. Well, right before that, he says, The priests say, How have we despised your name? One thing I'll point out before I get to the next verse is this. When God's speaking here through the prophet, He's not speaking to the world. Who is he speaking to? Huh? The priests. The people who are, who are supposed to be seeing to the offering being done rightly, who are supposed to be following the, the guidelines and the word that the Lord has already shared. He's speaking to the people of God. He's speaking to the ecclesia. He's speaking to the assembly of God. And he's saying, I need to get there. I need to move. But 
He's saying that it starts with you. We'll, we'll address the nations here in a second. But the problem is you bringing reproach upon my name. So let's don't say you. Let me not say you. It starts with us and how we do life and how we interact with our God and then how that causes us to interact with other people. You follow me so far? Okay, verse 7. They say, how have we despised your name? And he says, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? <clears throat> by saying that the Lord's table may, may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. We'll get to that in just a second. He's saying the way that you have polluted and the way that you have despised is by offering lame sacrifices, broken down sacrifices, and the last of that which you thought was good. Now you say, well, I'm not offering sacrifices. You offer sac you, you worship 24-7. The fact of the matter is every human being on the face of the earth is a worshiper. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's not a question. The question is, what do you worship? Who do you worship? <clears throat> we are continual worshipers 24-7. Now, the risk here for me is to get into this place to where I become religious or legalistic and saying, well, how are you giving? What's your attendance look like? What does your study habits look like? What is this? What is this? What is this? Man, you know what happens then? When we start preaching rules and regulations, we get into the place where we make people seem, make people think, make it seem as if they could actually do all of these things. Whereby, they would have their own personal righteousness to be able to say, look at me. I got her done this week. I gave, man, I gave this much money. I gave this much time. You know, I went to this mission trip. I went to that meeting. I went to this prayer group. I studied my Bible this many hours a day. I spent this much time in prayer. Look at me. Where are you going? It'll get better, I promise. <laughs> I'm just kidding at you. You see how we set ourselves up? And if I start preaching that way, then I'll either build a self-righteous people who thinks that they've done it, or I'll cripple you because you realize you can't. So what do we do? We preach Jesus and Him crucified. And we follow that on the hills by, it is by the blood of the Lamb. It is by Christ Himself who has done all the work that we could not do so that we may be able to offer right sacrifices. Paul, post-conversion, says, I find then that I have no righteousness of my own. And boy, wouldn't it be sad if we stopped right there and we said, Doggone, I just ain't got no righteousness. Kill me now, Lord. But he goes on to say, the only righteousness I do have is the righteousness of Christ that dwells in me. And so Christ has fulfilled all of these things in me. But what now? What now? I would say unto you that now 
Now, post-salvation, post-justification, in part with sanctification, comes the indwelling of the power of the Holy Spirit that would compel us, that would move us, not because we're obligated under good works, not because we're obligated to keep the law that it would provide any type of righteousness, but because we love God, and He is a part of our lives, and we want to please Him so badly because we love Him. We long to be in His presence. We long to sit at His feet. We long to make him smile we long to make him lift it up we long to make his name great that we just say here am I Lord send me what can I do where can I go who would have an open ear hey you want to hear about Jesus can I tell you about him anyway where can I go and do you pray every single minute of every single day in the back of your mind in the forefront of your mind wherever in your mind in your car when you lay down when you get up do you pray God open up a doorway for me today and give me the power to step through it God, open up a doorway for me today and give me the courage to open up my mouth so that I might tell somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ because it's the only way that they're going to get saved. Jesus, tell me. Tell me the truth. Write it on my heart. Help me to understand the Word of God. Bring it back up into my mind. Help me to memorize the Word of God. Can I sing your praises today, God? Thank you for allowing me to sing your praises today, God. Can I sing them loudly? Because sometimes when you sing and people get saved, just ask the Philippian jail. You know what I'm saying, bro? Listen, if you are all about the Lord Jesus Christ and you won't have to obligate yourself or tie chains around your wrists or reminders on your wrists in order to remind you to love the Lord Jesus Christ because it will be in you coming out of you and you don't even know it. <clears throat> so I could say, make sure you do this, 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 and this, but I want to say unto you, make sure you're in love with the Lord Jesus Christ and bowing down to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the other things will flow out of it. Now what I will say on that, and I need to start moving faster so I'll start talking, is this. You need to make sure that you are looking at the work that you have and the fruit that's being bore so that you will have evidence that the salvation was true. We don't look at our works as securing salvation for us, but we look at our works as providing evidence for the salvation that we had. And if your allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ is right, true, and good, and you have been born again, then you will be able to examine yourself to see whether or not the faith be in you. And if you've got the fruit of righteousness, whether it be the fruit of the Spirit, whether it be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and so on and so forth, that you can look at that and say Jesus is in me and you will give honor praise and glory to God for what he is doing in you and through you and not taking any credit for it yourself but is that is that good is that that's that's the gospel right that's the gospel well here they're not doing that they're bringing the very least of these and here's what I would ask you need to test the motivations of your heart see I think we can look at what we're giving the things that we're doing, and I think spiritual discipline is fine. I think that you do need to set parameters for yourself. I think that's fine. But if you're getting your assurance through the stipulations and the guidelines that you're setting outside of God's word, then you're going to find yourself wanting because Jesus Christ is the only assurance. How you are devoted, how much you love, how in, involved you are, how you're walking in Christ, how you honor him, how you fear him, that's to be the guiding mark of whether or not your fruit is actual fruit or rotten fruit. And that will tell you they work hand in hand in tandem. Does that make sense? So as we're living in our lives, we need to examine our fruit and examine how we are interacting with the Lord Jesus Christ himself, himself in order to test ourselves in order to examine our heart in order to see where we are and I think that we can set up those parameters to say listen Lord I love you and so I want to set these parameters and I want to make sure that I'm doing what you're calling me to do but I'm going to continue to examine my heart to make sure I'm doing it for the right reasons okay so 
we've looked at these polluted sacrifices, and the whole big idea was they were just doing enough to get by. So when you look at what you do, okay, because so, I believe the outworking of your hands tell on uh, the inworking of your heart. Um, Doug Wilson has this saying that I, that I thought was pretty cool. He said, uh, theology is found in the fingertips. Whatever comes out your fingertips, that's your actual theology. See, we can have theological discussion, and you can have all the doctrinal statements right, and that can be good, right, and, and well. But at the end of the day, you're not living out your theology. So while you know this theology over here is right, the one you're adhering to is this one over here because that's what's coming out of your fingertips. And so you live out the actual theology or the belief system that you actually adhere to. So oftentimes in the church, we have two different types of people. The one who put on a dress and act like they're the bride of Christ and those who actually are the bride of Christ. Anybody can put on a dress and act like a bride. It comes down to are you married to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you submitted to him? Are you in allegiance to him? Are you faithful to him? Are you just a hooker in a dress? At the end of the day, you've got to ask a question. And right here, I think he's addressing the second. When we examine ourselves to see whether or not we be in the faith, why do we do what we do? And let me, let me, let me give you one clue. If you are saying, when you, and listen, don't hear me talking about money. I don't care. I don't ever talk about money. I'll talk about money now. Hey, listen, I've told you in here a thousand times, treasure always gets on to me. If you love your money, keep your money. I don't need your money, and neither does God. If you love your money, keep your money. I don't need your money, and neither does God. Okay? I don't get paid to be here. I say whatever I want, right? <laughs> as long as it's in the Bible. If you love your money, keep your money. We don't need your money. God will provide. But when you do give, ask yourself this question. Why do I give? And how do I figure out how much I give? If you're answering that question, well, I can spare this much and it won't hurt me. This much doesn't matter. I've got $100, doesn't bother me, five, doesn't hurt me at all. Put that in the plate. Okay? Then I say, we've got an idolatry problem. If that's, your, if that's the way you look at that, then just keep that money because you need that money to worship, okay? If you're looking at your money and you've got $100 and you say, I need all 100 to pay my bills, but I'm going to give three. I don't care. I know that the Lord will provide. Your heart is right, and you could have given one. You can look at it and say, ah, uh, I don't even need it. I'll just give the 94, whatever. The scripture is the man giving out of the abundance to the degree that it didn't hurt him at all. It's nothing to him. But the poor widow came and brought the mites. She gave all that she had. She gave herself. She gave herself to the Lord. You wake up in the morning. I don't really feel like getting out of bed to go to church this morning. I need to sleep in. I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted. I'll go next week. I told, uh, we did a devotion at, at J.B. Trees this week, and I shared with the guys, I said, you know, oftentimes we are so exhausted 
to climb out of bed. But have we ever thought of how exhausted Christ was when he climbed up on the cross? Well, we could go down that road forever. You know, we're exhausted when we get home. We don't want to play with our kids and pour Jesus into them. We're exhausted when we get home, so we don't want to pour into our wives and love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that she might be washed in the water of the word. Lord, forgive me. All these things. And we're, we're you know, Eminem says there is no such thing as a halfway crook. I'd say there is no such thing as a halfway Christian. Hey, the Bible says, I wish you was either hot or cold. Since you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. I say this to encourage you and to warn you and to push you and to compel me into a deeper devotion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I think a good question would be, we're getting pretty deep into the service now, and I'm on slide two. I think a good question would be, How would it be if you presented to your boss, if you presented to your governor the way that you present to the Lord? That's the Lord's question. He says, they say, how have we polluted you? He says, by saying that the Lord's table may be despised when you offer blind animals and sacrifice is that not evil and when you offer those that are lame or sick is that not evil he says present that to your governor will he accept you or show favor man this should be a punch in the gut to every one of us goodness gracious I look around and I see so many empty seats and faces just start to come to my mind of people who normally sit there and y'all are like true Baptists because y'all sit in the exact spot every time <laughs> it's so weird and if one's out of place I'm like where's brother so and so at I'll be texting him after church he was like I was there I was like where I didn't see you oh you said in a different you you pulled a Pentecostal move <laughs> but I in all seriousness, I look out here and I see all of these empty seats. I see all this standing room. And I think about the, the state of affairs that we're in. I think about how the, the state is encroaching on our rights to worship God. How they are dead after with their sights on our children. With their sights on our boys to turn them into girls on our girls to turn them into boys on our marriages to destroy them on the nuclear family to offer payment if you will divorce your husband and have more kids with strange men you think I'm lying you think I'm lying that is your state that is your governor that offers to you benefits if you would simply divorce and kick your husband or wife out of the house and have a different way 
to fill out your taxes. They will give you money if you will quit working. My Bible tells me that a man that won't work shouldn't eat. And you want to come up in here asking for handouts from this church when you are fully capable of working? Man, get out of here with that stuff. Listen, listen, the Bible is plain that we need to help the widows and the orphans. That we need to, to be there and to be light in that darkness. Absolutely, we love to do that. But if you're a grown man, you come here and you can work and you're asking for a handout, there better be a really, really good reason you ain't found work yet. And the first thing we're going to do is help you find a job. Amen? Now, I say all of that to say this. We're sitting by letting this stuff happen. I look out here and I see all of these empty seats. And I have these guys talking to me about, oh, how my life's so hard. You know, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. You know, and I'm like, you know, I know I have a problem with compassion anyway, so, all right. But sometimes we need, you know, we need somebody just to say, come here, brother. But sometimes we need to, wake up, you know. And I'm, and I'm telling these guys, I'm like, look, bro, have you, are, you, are you dedicated to the church? Are you dedicated to the men of the church? Have you put yourself under the authority of the men's pastor? Do you let him speak into your life? Or do you think that you want to continue on being the, the, the authority in your own life? Because you've done so well up to this point, you know. I mean, it's not like you're an idiot or anything. It's not like that you can't do life. You need somebody to help you. And if you think I'm being hard, no, I'm telling you, all men are idiots. No, no, I'm serious. All men are idiots until they're not. And then as soon as they're not, they need to grab a guy who is an idiot. Because we don't we, don't we, and this, listen, I'm online, it's going out live, I don't care, I'm going to say it anyway. We have the most pathetic bunch of men in our country. Oh my gosh, it's, it's I mean, it's beyond me, right? Uh, Brother Keith sent me a, uh, a video the other day, and was that for real? The Russian thing, was that for real? So Russia has an ad out now that, uh. That is a uh, Russian military promo ad. And you know what the promo is surrounding? The promo is surrounding, now this might be a little controversial, but what's new? <laughs> the promo is surrounding all of these beefed up, you know, Russian soldiers who's doing these push-offs. They're like, yeah, kill people. And then it has this, American, which was run in America, American cartoon of this G.I. Jane, and she's like, we're going to do it, you know? <laughs> now, I don't know what your view is on women in the military. Maybe you like that type of thing. I'm going to tell you where I stand. I believe that men should die for women. I don't ever think that women should die for men. That's my opinion. Can a woman be strong? Absolutely she can. Should she ever lay down her life for a man that is fully capable of laying his life down for her? I'm sorry. I just have a higher view of women than that. I believe that a man should die for a woman 100 out of 100 times. But even if you say, well, I think that we can make a biblical argument for females being in military. Even if you want to say that, 
do we have a biblical argument that should that would be able to say that there's such a lack of courageous men that we have to start recruiting our ladies to take their place in the military because that's where we are you can make the case for women in the military women police officers all of that we can talk about that my problem is when the men are so cowardly so weak and so pathetic that they force our young ladies to do what they won't do, which is the state of affairs that we're in. Christians need to rise up. Christians need to be about the Lord's business. I sit out here and I see all of these open seats, and I, the families, the men of these families that come to mind, which is why I started talking about this, not being willing to lead their families and bring their wives and bring their children to church to learn God's word, to be equipped for the work of the ministry, to be equipped as saints. But you will not find them missing work. You will not find them missing their favorite activities. You will not find them missing out on their favorite video games. You will not. They will, they will climb mountains. They will, they will swim rivers. They will jump valleys in order to make sure that they watch that TV show series that they love. They will make sure that they do whatever they need to do to make sure they've got that cam or that supercharged turbo on their car or that they've got this and they've got that. Or they know every stat of their football team. Pathetic. And we can't crawl out of bed and take our family to church and love our wives. Man, that hit me. Did that hit y'all? That hit me if it didn't hit anybody else. Well, this is the point that the Lord is making. He says, all of, this, all of this that we offer to the Lord, all of that we offer to the Lord, how would it work if we offered that to the governor? How would it offer if we, would anybody in here even have a job? Would I have a job? I prayed that you would. I believe some of you would. I know some of you. I think you're, you're, you love the Lord and your allegiance is to the Lord. Praise God for that. How many of us, how many of us, would be at least demoted, would at least lose pay. If you gave the exact same effort to your boss at work as you gave to the Lord Jesus Christ, how would that fare? That's a good question. He says, present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show you favor? Will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar. Well, we'll get to that in just a second. I'm about to wrap it up. Here's what I would say. Write this down if you want. Don't give away the allegiance that is owed to God. Now, I'm not saying you to be less devoted at work, especially the guys that work for me, you hear? <laughs> I'm not telling you to be less devoted at work. I'm not telling you to be, I'm not even telling you to give up your hobbies. I'm not telling you that you can't play video games. I'm not telling you you can't, I love to watch movies. I'm not telling you that you can't go fishing or put a supercharged turbo injected thing on your car. Put it on, that's fine. But make sure that you're giving even more effort in your pursuit of the Lord and that you're doing all of those things as if doing them unto the Lord. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, For there is one God, the Father, from whom we 
for whom are all things and from whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Our allegiance is to one God. Our allegiance is to Yahweh. We serve Him. That we pledge allegiance to Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Can we look at you? Can you look at me and say, that man right there loves Jesus. He's devoted to Jesus. His allegiance is to Jesus. I want to be like him, not because he's great, but because his God is great. I want to follow him, not because he knows where he's going, but because he's following Christ, and Christ knows where he's going, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And as I follow Christ, you follow me. Can you say that to your family? Can you say that to your wife, your husband? Can you say that to your children? Can you say that to the people in the community? Can you say that because you walk in gospel power that is absolutely founded on and filled by and, and, and pushed by the power of the Holy Spirit. When somebody thinks about you, I want, you to, I want to ask you this. When somebody thinks about you or when somebody hears about you, and it's not slanderous gossip, when somebody hears about you, just what, you know, who you are and, and what you're about, what, what do they find out first? If somebody's trying to describe you and they say, you know, uh, Chad, you know who I'm talking about, the guy in church that, or if you're in the community, you know that guy over there, you know the one that's, is he say, or they say, you know the one that's always talking about Jesus. You know the one that's always, always quoting scripture. Doesn't that just annoy you? The one that refuses to, you know, always tries to judge us because when we tell dirty jokes, he, he leaves the room. You know, the, 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 that girl who every time we start to gossip, she jets out thinking that she's better than us. Don't she know all ladies gossip? All ladies don't gossip, do they? No. Are you known? Are you known? For your love and devotion to Christ? Or are you known for something else? Whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. First Thessalonians 5.22 says, abstain from every form of evil. Another translation says, uh, don't even have the appearance of evil. What does that mean? It means that you are to be so devoted to and sensitive to your allegiance to Christ that you wouldn't even do anything or be anywhere that you might appear to be in a place that you shouldn't be or doing something that you shouldn't do. Now, that's not to suggest that that always works because Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors. Jesus found himself in, himself in places that most people wouldn't go in situations that most people wouldn't be in. So I believe in those situations that the gospel is to be so thick and, and clearly presented that there is not a shadow of a doubt why you're in that place for that reason. You'd be like, I stopped off by the bar to do bar ministry and a glass fell off the, the, the 
guy's hand. He was giving it to somebody else, and it fell into my mouth, spilled on me. That's why I smell like alcohol. Uh, but no, listen, I'm building relationships, and so, you know, all things to all people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that happens. A guy told me one time that uh, he was starting a strip club ministry. <laughs> to each his own, brother. Don't think I can do that one. Some of you ladies, though, that's a good idea. As a matter of fact, Mark, where was it? They had a strip club, huh? Yeah, they had a strip club ministry, and what they did was they trained up the ladies in the church, and the ladies came alongside and and uh, trained other ladies, and uh, huh? Yeah, the men would stay in the parking lot, and the ladies would go in, and uh, they would they would talk to the ladies about Christ. They would they would win them. They would get them to to agree to come and hear the gospel or to talk about a way to get out of this and the ladies would get them clothed and bring them outside and the men would be there with the other women of God to help counsel them on how they could get away from this lifestyle that's free no extra charge but the Bible says to to not even have the appearance of evil you see let me ask you this does your devotion is your devotion to Christ so strong that you would flee if you got into a situation that might bring about the appearance of evil. You know, this is very impractical from the world standards. If you'll remember, Mike Pence a while back had said that, uh, that he had committed thought adultery on his wife because he had lusted before. And the Bible says that if you even lust after a, mo a woman that you have committed adultery in your own heart. And his point was, is that he tries to remain so faithful to his wife as to not even think about another woman. Billy Graham goes on to say that he would not be in the company of a woman alone to protect. He'd always took the TVs out of his hotel rooms, reports that I've read. Um, I, I think it was also Mike Pence that come under a great fire because he didn't have meetings with women alone. That's a policy that we've tried to adhere to at the well as much as we humanly can is that no man ever meets with a woman alone uh, here so that there's not even an appearance, not even a possibility that it can anything happen like that. I think that we've got to be all so careful, especially in the day that we live in, right? Well, <clears throat> it's 12.03, and I've got one more slide for you here, and I think that you'll find this very helpful. This was, this was, I had heard this before, but I'd never found the quote before. And this was the quote that I, that I had found. I'll show you here in just a second. Listen to what it says here. It says, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept your, an offering from your hand. You see, this idea that um, it's either allegiance to God or get out. You see, we think that we can halfway with God. We think that there's some type of proverbial fence somewhere that we could ride. Please let me dispel that myth and that idea right now. There is no fence. The Bible says that he who is not for me is against me. He who makes himself a friend of the world is an enemy of God. I wish that you were either hot or cold because you're not lukewarm. I'll vomit you out of my mouth. There is no fence. There is no fence. You're either for Christ or you're against Christ. It's allegiance to Christ or allegiance to the world. You cannot serve both money and God. You cannot. 
You cannot have two masters. Well, okay, this is the idea of the gospel. And, and some of you have pro- probably heard for a long time this patty cake gospel of, hey, come down here, say a prayer, woohoo, you're saved. You know, that, you know, you got this idea of fire insurance. And, and they, they, this whole idea of, of the, the sinner's prayer, you know, this just say this prayer and you will be saved. Um, I don't have any problem with a, with a prayer, a profession of faith being the symbol of a transformed and renewed heart. But please know that prayers don't save. There's nowhere, not one jot or tittle. There is no place in the scripture that you can show me that says that you are saved by prayer. That does not work. You are saved by grace through faith. And we can verbalize that faith through a prayer. That's fine. That's fine. But I'm here to tell you that a prayer does not save, but faith saves. And faith always brings about work. Faith without works is dead. So a true faith has works and a change that goes along with it that you can see and it's evidenced. Now, it's not a perfect, I don't believe in Christian perfectionism, but we do see that it's a great transformation and a great change. And, and this is what I'll, I'm going to bring next Sunday, is the way in which our faith challenges and upends every other authority that's not a biblical authority in our life. That's why the government hates actual Bible-based Christian churches. The government doesn't mind the liberal churches that just welcome in this idea of, of relevance and, and your truth is your truth and, you know, the, all of these different ideas. It doesn't, that church doesn't challenge them, not at all. As a matter of fact, they love those because those churches teach that you submit to the man no matter what. You're not going to find that at the well. What you're going to find here is, is that God is king. Christ is king, God's word is true, and you'll have to kill me before I deny it. Are you with me on that? We have to be in allegiance to the, to the degree to Christ. We say, we look at a government who is seeking to be your Lord. If you can't see that, you blind. If you can't see that, you blind, brothers and sisters, okay? They are seeking to, be, to lord it over you. We are here to say Christ is the only Lord. Christ is Lord. Caesar is not. Christ is Lord. Biden is not. Christ is Lord. Trump is not. Let me hit both y'all. Christ and Christ alone is Lord. Check this out. So Augustus. I'm just going to read this to you. This is from Dr. Uh, Michael F. Elmore in an in a article that he had written, and I thought this was really cool. 5 B.C., he, he writes this. He says, Augustus had the ability to make a moral, and Augustus, Caesar Augustus, this is Caesar. Augustus had the ability to make a moral conquest of nations, extending freedom to the annexed peoples. He became the emperor and judge of the nations from Britain to India. He created order out of chaos, an age of blessings such as the war-ridden world had never seen. He was believed to be the world's savior, 
and the Advent celebrations began with the Advent proclamation. Listen to this. Salvation is to be found in no other save Augustus, and there is no other name given to men in which they can be saved, but the Roman Advent message promised more than any emperor could fulfill. Dr. Michael Elmore. Does that look familiar? So at the Advent of Augustus, this would be said. Salvation is to be found in no other save Augustus. And there is no other name given to men in which they can be saved. Check out Acts 4, 11 and 12. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved than that of King Jesus. Is that an accident? Absolutely not. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, the great apostle says, If any of you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. We hear that in modern America. We have no idea what it means. No idea. Because we can say that without any threat, risk of persecution. We throw around these flippant sinner's prayers. Oh, Jesus, please come into my heart. That is not what Paul meant. If I ask you if you're saved, don't tell me about a prayer you saved one time. Said, you tell me about how Christ has radically changed your life. You tell me about how you're devoted to him in everything that you do. And how you weep when you sin. How you long to be more conformed to the image of God. How you long to be more in depth in the Bible. And how you want to know Christ. For knowing Christ is knowing life. Don't tell me about a prayer you prayed. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ is Lord is not a is not an uttering of some thirteen word prayer that you walked an aisle in a church that celebrated you. It is to stand up before a world where Caesar was Lord, and if you did not bow down and call Caesar Lord, that you would be murdered, that you would be hung up in the streets, lit on fire, and used as a human candle. It would be that you would face the guillotine, that you would face persecution, that you would not be able to buy bread in the marketplace, that you would not be able to become a part of any of the trade guilds. You wouldn't be able to work. You might starve to death that your children would be drugged out into the streets and stoned to death right before your very eyes. To stand up in Romans 10 day would be to say Christ is Lord and Caesar is not. We will not bow down. To anybody but Christ, we will not compromise. We will stand on the truth of God's word. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. And all of the other gods, all of the other so-called lords are nothing but demonic attack, false gods, idols, and a bunch of nothing. We bow down to Christ. You can, I guess that was the time. I ask you this morning, 
Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Have you submitted your very being unto Christ? And if you have submitted your being to Christ, and He has become your God and your Savior and your Lord, and everything you knew before that was opposed to Christ, you have cast down upon the altar. You have cast into the fiery flames that you have set aside because we need to set aside every weight that slows us down and everything that hinders us. Let us lay aside every sin that entangles us. Maybe today you've, you've, you've trusted your life with Christ, that you do have faith, but you've not, you've not been dedicated to Christ. You've not been a dedicated husband. You've not been a dedicated man of God. People would not look at you and automatically go, now there's a man of God. Imperfect, yes, but there's a man of God. He loves the Bible. He loves the Lord. He's all about the Lord. He's too much about the Lord. There goes a Jesus freak. That guy's no joke. Has it ever been said of you, I've met a lot of Christians in my life that I thought were a joke and they made me want to turn away from the church. But that guy, that woman right there, that's the real deal. Next week, I want to talk to you. I'll finish this up next week. I want to talk to you about the importance and the essential nature of your individual allegiance to Jesus Christ and the expansion of the kingdom into the world so that the world may be able to look at God's people and see God and glorify God. Remember that part of the text? My, God says, all of you, speaking to the Israelites in Malachi, all of you are profaning my name. My name will be great in the nations. Impl imp implying that when the people around were looking at this people who were supposed to be the people of God, they were a joke. They were pitiful. They weren't, they weren't obeying their God. They were compromising in all of these ways. They were looking at them and saying, you expect me to follow this God? This God? The one that I see you follow? You won't even follow him. You, you want me to follow him? This God is a joke. You see how the nations would have been profaning the name of God because of what they saw in the people of God's interaction with God. May it never be said about you. May it never be said about our church. May it never be said about any church. We must do what we can do. We can't control every other church. I can't control you. You can't control me. We have to be controlled by the love of Christ. You have to pursue after Christ. I can't do it for you. Oh, how I wish I could help. How I wish you could do it for me sometimes when I feel weak. But Christ can do it. Christ will do it. He will push you. And He will take you to the next level. If you would only seek His face. Oh, if my people would seek me with all of their heart, with all of their mind, with all of their strength. He's not wanting to not come. Never let yourself be taken out of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you need to repent today, I plead with you, come here or there, wherever. Do business with God. 
Let's make Jesus' name great among the nations. Let's be, if nothing else, one spot, one small dot on a map where it can be said, there's a church that loves Jesus Christ with every ounce of their being. There's a, you want to see God move? There's a church where you can see God move. Starts with you on an individual level. Will you man up? Will you woman up? Will you do business with God? Do business with God this week, please. Let's all stand to our feet. Respond accordingly as however God has led you. I love you guys. I really do.